Welcome to a new episode of New Work in Intellectual History. My name is Zelma Zondan and I am a master's student of intellectual history at the University of St. Andrews. I am delighted to be joined today by Dr. Felicity Lochlin, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the School of History at the University of St. Andrews. Felicity's work focuses on intellectual, cultural and religious history of Scotland and Europe from 1650 to 1850. And today I'm talking to Felicity about the history of religious debate and particularly the influence of unbelief on intellectual and cultural perceptions in 18th and early 19th century Scotland. Welcome Felicity and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Well, you are currently working with Oxford University Press to publish a monograph entitled The Scottish Enlightenment Confronts the Gods, Paganism and the Nature of Religion. Could you briefly introduce us into what the book is about? Yes, gladly. Um, well, this book emerges from my doctoral research, which I carried out at the University of Edinburgh. And it's all about how 18th century Scots became increasingly interested in pagan religions. And by pagan, I mean non-Abrahamic religions. So not Christianity, not Judaism, not Islam, but everything else. And that's a category that these 18th century Scottish thinkers used to describe non-Abrahamic religious traditions. So in the early decades of the 18th century, for the first time, Scottish thinkers are looking extensively into the history of pagan religions, uh, both past and present. So they go all the way back to antiquity, um, but also have this interest in contemporary pagans. So looking into Asia, the Americas, Africa, there's an interest in contemporary as well as ancient paganism. So the book's about the Scottish thinkers who really delved into that pagan past um, but it's not just about that, it's also about the significance of those investigations into paganism on the Scottish Enlightenment's theories about the origins um, and progress of religion in human societies. So how these thinkers used paganism to talk about religion as a human phenomenon um, and how religion affects individual and social flourishing. So it's taking it from the early 18th century right through to the late 18th century um, and based, based on a series of case studies. But yes, the main themes are looking at how the study of paganism shaped the Scottish Enlightenment's views of religion as a human phenomenon. And how would you say did these uh, studies kind of connect with the religious and philosophical debates of the time? How did they shape them? That's a really good question. So there are lots of different strands to this investigation into paganism. Uh, one of them is about how human beings can access the divine um, without revelation. So one of the big debates is about natural religion. So how far you can know about God and the afterlife without divine inspiration, without a direct revelation from God. So this is a big, as Thomas Arnott and others have shown, this is something that comes to divide the Church of Scotland in the 18th century. Um, and the study of paganism is really key to that. So one part of it is debates over natural religion. Another aspect of it is unbelief. So the, the study of paganism in 18th century Europe is something that 
comes to attract lots of different thinkers, Christian thinkers of various stripes and also free thinkers. So one of the main um, groups who look at paganism in the 18th century are deists, those called deists. Now the label deists is seen as slightly difficult, but essentially those who think um, that you don't need scripture to know about God. And a lot of influential deists had looked at paganism to say, look, here are groups which didn't have, they either forgot divine revelation or never had it. And they've come up with these ideas about God and the afterlife, which are akin to what we think. And um, so one strand is natural religion. Another strand is this divide between Christians and unbelievers of various types. So that's another major um, philosophical question. And the final one, I suppose, is um, thinking about how societies develop and um, so the impact of religion on social flourishing. So um, do you need Christianity to have a flourishing society? Is it enough to have other kinds of religion um, for social progress, for individual flourishing? Um, so it's also about, yes, social progress and development. So there are lots of different um, strands that come into this study of paganism. Amazing. Um, and you also said before that this monograph builds on your doctoral research, which I think was entitled Religion, Erudition and Enlightenment, Histories of Paganism in 18th Century Scotland. Um, would you say the main arguments remain the same uh, or how does your doctoral research translate into this book now? Thank you. I'd say yes, the main arguments remain the same, but the chronology is slightly broader. So taking it to the early 19th century, whereas my doctoral research finished kind of 1770s, 1780s. So I'm interested in looking at how these discussions about paganism developed in later um, intellectual work on the sociology of religion, the anthropology of religion. Um, so thinkers like um, J.M. Robertson, how do Scottish Enlightenment debates about paganism develop as we get further into the century? So chronologically, there's a, a shift um, and thematically as well, looking at the legacies. And I suppose the, the central lens I'm looking at now is more about how these inquiries specifically affect theories about the nature and development of religion, whereas the PhD was more looking at histories of paganism more broadly, its various different um, significances on contemporary debates. So more of a focus on how these inquiries specifically shape the origins, uh, debates about the origins and progress of religion. And um, in this regard, how would you say, um, does your book contribute to or even perhaps change perspectives in the field of intellectual history more generally? That's a good question. I think, so perhaps to take it slightly narrower, I think for the field of the intellectual history of the Scottish Enlightenment, I would say it makes a contribution because religion is, it's so central to um, 18th century Scottish intellectual life. It shaped how individuals' lives were perceived. It shaped their vision of the world. Um, 
And although in recent years there's been more of a study of the importance of theology and religious thought in the Scottish Enlightenment debates about various other topics, um, so about philosophy, particularly moral philosophy, about aesthetics, um, a lot of different subject areas, there has been less concentrated work on how the Scots actually thought about religion itself. Um, this is something that um, my colleague Robin Mills has done excellent work on um, looking at it from a slightly different angle. And I think that's a major contribution of the book to look at how the Scottish Enlightenment contributed to perceptions of religion itself. Um, so not just looking at how religious thought influenced other debates, but how the Scottish Enlightenment's views on religion itself, um, how they contributed to European intellectual debates. Thank you for that overview. Um, before you said that one strand of studying like um, paganism and religion was this um, study of unbelief. Mm -hmm. And um, currently, I believe that's that's what you're currently working about um, in the collaborative Leverhulme funded project after the Enlightenment, Scottish intellectual life, 1790 to 1843. Um, just to begin with, could you briefly explain what the project, like the broader project, is about and how it is structured? Yes, happily. Um, so this project, it's a collaborative project, as you said. Um, there are three postdocs working on this. So myself, Lena Weber and Bill Jenkins. And there are three PIs as well. So we have um, Colin Kidd, Richard Watmore and Aileen Fife. And we also have Knut Harkinson, who's a sort of honorary fellow on the project as well. Um, and the, the central aim of the project is to look at what happened to Scottish intellectual life in the 50 years or so um, after the French Revolution and before or just about at the time of the great disruption of the Scottish Church. So two big landmarks um, in Scottish history at the time. So the previous century, so the Scottish Enlightenment, it is firmly embedded in the historiography as a major um, moment in Scottish intellectual history and we also know quite a bit about the sort of Victorian age of um, Scottish intellectual history but this kind of transitional period in the middle um, is under researched and it's really asking well what happened in between these two eras and how should we think about that period um, and we're looking at three main strands three different strands um, so the strand I'm working on is religion and unbelief. Um, I'm working on that with Colin Kidd. And then there's also a strand on uh, natural philosophy or science. Um, so that's for my colleague Bill Jenkins and Aileen Fife. And then there's a, a final section on political economy, um, which Lena, Knud and Richard are all working on. Um, so we're trying to look at these three different strands, religion, science and um, political economy. And together, think about how those um, those strands allow us insights into um, what Scottish intellectual life was in the 19th century, what were its main developments, how far was it different from the Scottish Enlightenment, how far did it feed into what came later, um, but really looking at it on its own terms, um, so trying not to kind of read it backwards from the later period, see really what were people interested in in the early 19th century um, between around 1790 to 1843. 
Amazing. And and you already said that um, you're focusing on the religion strand and particularly religion and unbelief. Um, you touched upon that before, explaining briefly what unbelief is. In this context of, of this project, could you go into more detail about what unbelief is and, and what its uh, repercussions on intellectual thought were? Yes, so part of the, the aim of this strand is to ask what was unbelief in the early 19th century? Um, so it's a very good question. Um, so there, essentially there is no one single definition of unbelief. That seems um, one of the major things I've found looking at this period. There is no one single form of unbelief. There are various different types of unbelief. Um, so people hold different kind of belief positions and they change over time. Um, but broadly speaking, we can see lots of different types um, of unbelief. So you have a kind of um, a scepticism where sort of a Humean type of scepticism um, where you feel there's there's a point beyond which you cannot go. You cannot say this is the divine. This is the, the right way to think. There's a limit to human knowledge and we just cannot go beyond that. So there's a kind of scepticism um, there's also deism. So kind of something like akin to what I was talking to you about earlier. Um, this idea that generally speaking for deists, um, you don't need divine revelation. What you can get from your own um, perception of the world, your own rational thinking about the world is sufficient for your happiness. Um, so deism, but also we do get in Scotland in this period, um, atheism and it's sort of atheist materialism. So ideas about, um, yes, that if matter is all we can have, there cannot be any supernatural existence. So this is something that is new in the early 19th century for the Scottish context. Um, and it's quite striking that there are several um, self-professed atheist materialists in Scotland in the early 19th century. Um, and I've looked especially into so-called popular unbelief. So groups, especially of um, artisans, shopkeepers, they're kind of a, a mid upper middling uh, class of Scottish society and particularly um, men. So you have several male self-professed atheist materialists in Scotland um, and they form societies. Um, the societies are open to all kinds of unbelievers, but the leading members of those societies tend to be the atheist materialists. Um, so essentially there's a huge range of unbelief in Scotland um, and lots of people are concerned about this, this kind of growth of infidelity. Um, it's, it really is a great concern. Um, for Scottish Christians of various stripes. And there's a different response from different types of um, Scottish Christians as well. So unbelief essentially is a really diverse um, phenomenon, but we can find some of these, these main types within it. I see. Um, and how would you say, do your findings now relate to your insights about religious debate in the Scottish Enlightenment that we just talked about? How did intellectual concerns about religion and unbelief change after the Enlightenment? Thank you. Um, I would say there are some interesting continuities as well as change. So I think 
one interesting continuity is this debate over natural religion um, and how far you can know about God through reason. And as I mentioned earlier, there is this sort of ongoing debate between different Scottish Christians in the 18th century about that. So on the one hand, you have um, the moderate party of the Scottish Church in the 18th century, who, as Thomas Arnott has shown, are less confident about reason's ability to discern fundamental truths about God, about the soul, about the afterlife. And on the other hand, you have the evangelical or popular party um, who are more confident about that and say, no reason, we have to be able to rationally determine some aspects of God. Um, otherwise, it's unfair that all these people without the gospel should be judged um, by God. So there are these competing views of the relationship between reason and religion. And these kind of continue um, into the, the early 19th century. Um, so one debate that I um, have looked at is a debate between um, an Edinburgh lawyer called William Gillespie and um, an anonymous um, atheist materialist called Antitheos. Um, it seems likely that this is a man called George Simpson, um, who is a member of the Glasgow Zetetic Society, which is one of these groups of unbelievers that I was um, talking to you about. And Gillespie writes a book called um, A Demonstration of the Rational Proofs for the Existence of God. Um, so this is a, an attempt to create a, a logical argument in favour of God's existence. And Simpson writes a very influential critique of this. And throughout the later 19th century, both the demonstration and the critique are reprinted. So there's this continuation um, of these earlier debates about natural religion that were unresolved. But rather than just having that debate between two groups of Scottish Christians, it's expanded between a Scottish Christian and an unbeliever. So a much more radical version of an earlier debate um, that was going on. So in some cases you get these um, continuities, but also there is, there's change. So there are debates that didn't really um, matter so much in the Scottish Enlightenment that do start to matter more in the early 19th century. Um, so one of these issues I would say is this concern over materialism and one of the major influences that in that is um, the rise of phrenology. So this study of um, the human mind and brain, it's this idea that you can um, understand human development by looking at different parts of the brain and that it directs human behavior. So this idea that, well, if the brain is an organ that directs human behavior, where is the room for the soul? Um, so that there are new trends and new intellectual developments that change the debate over unbelief. Um, you do get some Christian thinkers who support phrenology and think it can be in harmony with Christianity, but over time and increasingly it's seen as something that has connections with unbelief. Um, so that's one new development. Another is the the growth of socialism. So Owenite socialism takes off in the 1820s and this becomes associated also with unbelief. Um, so you get later Christian socialists, this isn't something that's exclusively socialism and unbelief don't necessarily go in hand in hand, but many of the, the leading figures in the socialist movement were 
accused of unbelief or vocalised their own unbelief in socialist newspapers. Um, so you do get uh, a change there as well. That's something that wasn't present previously um, and becomes increasingly important. So there, there's continuities, but there are also significant differences as well. Thank you for that. Um, it does sound like a lot does change um, that makes it necessary to look at after enlightenment as a as a different as a significant period. Um, what would you say with regard to the religious part of the project? Why is it important to understand the period following the enlightenment on its own terms? Thank you. Um, I think it's important to understand it on its own terms, but also I think it is important to still see it as following on from what came before. So I do think it's important to look at it in its own terms because there are these new developments um, that weren't present previously. But it's true that at least in debates about religion and unbelief, some of the same thinkers and some of the same um, uh, debates surface. So. You get references to David Hume, for example, um, in the text I mentioned previously, this work by Antitheos, a kind of critique of the demonstration of the, the existence of God. Um, Hume is cited in that and Humean ideas surface in those debates. Um, but also more generally, a lot of the not just Scottish Enlightenment thinkers, but um, 18th century thought more generally um, does appear in these debates. So I think while we should look at it separately, we shouldn't look at it completely in isolation with what did come before. Um, but yes, I think that a main reason for looking at it, for giving it attention, is to see that there are important developments that do happen in this 50-year period before we get to the late 1840s. And we can't really understand those um, developments unless we do look at this earlier earlier period. So I think, yes, we should look at it in its own right because it's fascinating and there are lots of uh, developments that are unique to that early 19th century. But I think our understanding of those is um, improved by looking at it as a kind of development from the 18th century as we do get um, figures and thinkers um, who were important in the 18th century and in unbelief in particular, especially in these popular societies I mentioned, um, it's really French 18th century thinkers who are very influential. So people like Dolbach um, are, feature very prominently as a sort of um, influential atheist thinker in the Scottish context. So it's not just the influence of the Scottish Enlightenment on the early 19th century Scottish context is also um, European developments as well. And um, as I understand, your upcoming project will also look at a much, much broader um, time frame. Um, you will be starting in May 2022, uh, another project at the University of Edinburgh entitled Scotland's Infidels Varieties of unbelief in a Christian landscape, 1697 to 1914. Um, that project will be covering an impressive period of time. What were the reasons for choosing this specific and, and long period? Yes, it is a very ambitious stretch of time, so I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it. Um, the reason I chose 1697 to 1914 is 
1697 is the the last blasphemy trial at the first the first the last execution for blasphemy in Scotland um, so the death of Thomas Aikenhead is a sort of landmark moment in the the history of unbelief in Scotland so the last execution for blasphemy so between that time and I picked 1914 because by that point you have the rise of um, ethical societies, which are sort of proto-humanist societies. So the humanist movement today traces its um, roots back to these ethicist societies from the 1890s. Um, so that's why I picked those two um, moments to, to concentrate on. And essentially, having looked at 1790 to 1843 or thereabouts, I wanted to see what came before and what came after um, to look at this kind of longer um, changing evolution of unbelief from this, the 17, late 17th century um, to 1914 just to see how unbelief changed because it's it's not really a static um, a static phenomenon so looking at how far there was change um, not only in unbelief itself but in how people responded to unbelief and reacted to it um, so that's the reason for the for the long chronology amazing and and you chose to entitle the project scotland's infidels um how does infidelity which you also talked about before relate to unbelief is it merely a synonym or is there conceptual differences that's a really good question. So infidelity and infidelism are accusations leveled at unbelievers of various types um, by their opponents. Um, and it, it does appear also in tandem with unbeliever. So that comes across too. And it's definitely a negative pejorative term that's used, although it is reclaimed slightly um, by some unbelievers um, as a sort of badge. But yes, it's a term that is used by contemporaries largely against unbelievers. Um, so it's, it is a synonym for unbelief. It tends to be used in a kind of imprecise way as a catch-all term, a bit like unbelief. It's sort of a catch-all term for different kinds of unbelief. Um, but it's more extreme, tends to be used in, to create a more extreme idea than something like doubt um, so yes it's definitely um on the, the the stronger spectrum of of these things but i also was interested in using it because you know the the famous uh, reference to hume as the great infidel um so looking kind of beyond hume at how other uh, unbelievers in scotland um thought about things like religion and uh, their place in the world. And to slowly come to an end, how would you say um, does this project connect with your current work in the After Enlightenment project? And does it relate also to your monograph? Um, it feels like, well, you, the title also says um, you're talking about varieties of unbelief. Um, what are the research questions you are trying to answer then? And um, yes, so there is, I would say, a, 
a connection with the After Enlightenment project. So this idea for this project really stemmed from the After Enlightenment project and a sense of wanting to probe more into unbelief. Um, one of the main differences, I suppose, with that project, so the chronology is different, but also um, as I've been researching this um, uh, question of unbelief, I've been really interested in not only the intellectual dimensions of these debates, but also the emotional dimensions. So one of the things I'm really interested in doing is looking at um, the history of unbelief in Scotland as a way of joining together um, intellectual history and emotional history. Um, and there's been some really wonderful research done um, looking at the emotional history of unbelief and thinking especially of Alec Reary. I think there is an interview with him on the um, St Andrew's Intellectual History podcast as well. Um, and I think what I'd like to do is, so he's done amazing work looking at the emotional history of unbelief. And I'd like to kind of try and bring the intellectual history and emotional history a bit more um, into dialogue and looking at it in tandem. So not only looking at the ideas that these people were engaging with, um, but also um, the emotions they experienced as, as a result of unbelief and also um, in their encounters and relationships with people of faith. Um, so looking at these two things in tandem, and I think that sort of composite approach is a good one because I think unbelief like faith, it's not really ever a matter of only reasoned argument. There's also um, an emotional dimension there. And I think um, it's not only emotion, there's also ideas there together. So I think this composite approach is something I'm really excited um, to start. That sounds like a fascinating and also really relevant perspective on intellectual history. So. Um, I'll allow myself one last question. Um, thanks, first of all, for this amazingly comprehensive exploration of religion and unbelief in the Scottish Enlightenment and after Enlightenment. Um, considering all of these three projects that we have just discussed, what would you like to uh, our listeners to take away from this interview about the significance of religion and unbelief in Scottish history? I think that I would like people to take away from this that um, the way religion is so important in the way that individuals in Scotland but also elsewhere um, and debates about religion have shaped how people think about the world and their place in it. So I think looking at these topics is just so important. I think it's a, a crucial aspect of um, our human history and I think that intellectual historians can bring um, a really valuable perspective on that um, by looking at the way religious ideas and religious thought um, really changes how people think about the world, their place in it um, and I think that's yes that's exactly what I would like people to take from it. I think that's a very important point. Felicity, I want to thank you again for taking the time today to speak to me. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again soon. And until then, all the best. Thank you, Zelma.